With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and this is now episode 77. In this episode, I will talk about the NFL's new media deal, Drew Brees retiring, the Dolphins cutting Isaiah Wilson, the Minnesota Vikings, Aaron Rodgers, and the player under the most pressure next season. Then I'm going to talk about LaMelo Ball and LeBron James's injury, how LeBron's injury shapes the Western Conference and the Houston Rockets 20 game losing streak. There are a lot of good topics here. I can't wait to talk about them. I had made a topic list Sunday night with about 15 topics, and I thought a lot of them were good. Right now we have 10 because we are saving the other five for Thursday when Riv is available to do the show. Jack won't be because Jack right now has COVID. He's in quarantine. So I I think he'll probably be back next week, I assume. And Riv on Mondays has to go to work usually at night. So that's why he's not available to do the podcast. Uh, But usually that's why Riv is here on Thursdays and usually on Mondays he's not. But yeah, um, I hate missing shows. I don't know if you guys can tell, but I absolutely hate missing shows. Recording this podcast, I have a blast recording it, and not recording it makes me feel very low and empty. I feel like when I don't record the podcast, I'm like, ah, damn, I wish I would have recorded it. That's why usually when they're not able to make it, I uh, record by myself because I really do enjoy doing this. I, I enjoy preparing. I enjoy talking about this, and there are a lot of new stuff that have happened in the NFL that... We have yet to talk about that. I am dying to talk about, and I have a lot of good topics here. Also, I just wanted to share this with you guys, uh, listeners and viewers, if you're doing this on YouTube. My personal YouTube channel just hit 1,000 subscribers, and I feel very grateful for that. I'm super happy, and this podcast has meant a lot to me because not only because I've been doing this for so long, but we're like we're 77 episodes in. I still can't believe I have done this 77 times. But also, it has made me feel more comfortable to talk into a mic, to prepare content. You know, that's the only reason why my channel got started was because of the podcast, vice versa. So, you know, I'm just extremely grateful. If you guys have subscribed to my channel, you guys view my content, or you're subscribed to the podcast and you listen to this podcast, thank you so much because your support does mean the world to me. It really does, and I know it means the world to Jack and Riv as well. We're all super appreciative for everybody that has been tuning in. But some breaking news in the midst of all the free agency news came out. Adam Schefter and a bunch of uh, media reporters like Ian Rappaport reported that the NFL has a new media deal. And the reason why you should care about it is because it has a lot of significant implications 
that I think people probably would care about. I mean, first of all, the new NFL media deal is worth $113 billion, which is an 80% increase. Because of this increase, a lot of your favorite teams are going to have a spike in their cap. So they're going to be able to spend even more money than they're spending right now. A lot of teams are going to have more cap space. That's why you see a lot of teams like the Giants being super and ultra aggressive right now because the cap is going to the, going, going to spike. And those expensive contracts that you see right now are probably not going to be that big of a cap hit when this new media deal kicks in, which is in 2023. So in 2023, you should see the cap start to really elevate. But a implication of this new media deal, media deal that's going to happen right away is that the NFL is now going to have a 17-game season. They're going to cut down the preseason by one or two games, but that's huge. You know, now players have less of a time to prove themselves in a preseason, and we're going to get straight to the regular season faster. It's a huge deal. So 17-game season also kicking off, and some of the partners with the NFL in this media deal are Amazon, CBS, ESPN, ABC, Fox and NBC. They have all signed deals through 2033. And this is why you should, you should want to know this on Amazon's part. They're going to have Thursday night football, but to watch it, you have to have a prime membership. And if you already have a uh, prime membership for like the regular Amazon, where you order stuff, you can stream NFL games as well. Uh, CBS, they're going to, they're going to retain the rights to stream AFC games and all games will be broadcasted on CBS. And you can stream them live if you have Paramount+. Plus. Because if you guys heard of the new streaming platform of Paramount+, Plus, it's this new platform with like SpongeBob and all that other stuff. But next season, you're going to be able to stream CBS games on that streaming platform if you have it. And ESPN will continue to do Monday Night Football. And ABC is going to host two Super Bowls in this like time frame and also Fox retained its rights to NFC, but some games will be streamed on 2B TV. Why they chose 2B and not Hulu is uh doesn't make much sense to me. But I think they should have chose Hulu, but because they own Hulu as well. But it's going to be on 2B TV. And NBC still has Sunday night football, but all games that have been broadcasted on Channel 4, NBC Sunday Night Football will be available on Peacock. So I think this is huge because if you're somebody like me that has NFL Game Pass, you could probably not get NFL Game Pass but still watch these games pre-recorded on Peacock or Paramount Plus or Tubi TV. I think that's a huge deal. But if you're someone like me, you probably still have Game Pass because you love to watch the other included stuff that the NFL has to offer. Um, so yeah, every single network is paying about 2 billion a year, except for Disney. Disney is paying more, which is kind of weird to me. And yeah, NFL is going to head into a 17 game season, but I think this new media deal is huge, not only because the elevated cap space, but because of all the different accessibility that you guys can have when watching these games. Oh, if I don't, if I don't want to watch the the Sunday night football game right away, I'll watch it on Peacock. Tomorrow, you know, I think that's huge. That's a really big deal. So I think it's good that the NFL is going into that streaming route 
and networks are all in on streaming now, honestly. So I think that's huge. Another thing that uh, happened that got overshadowed by the free agency period is that Drew Brees retired. And I'm kind of sad about it because Drew Brees has been one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks all time. I had recently bought his book. I'd be lying if I said I read it yet because I have not read it yet. It's a very long book, and I like to read books in one sitting. Uh, so I have I had bought his book because it's a book about, you know, his trial and tribulations and how he got to where he is now. It's I'm pretty sure it's an amazing book. I haven't read it yet. But I just want to make this segment as a tribute to Drew Brees and just look back at his amazing career because I think I haven't got to talk about this yet. I haven't got to talk about this in depth, and it's something that I want to do because Drew Brees deserves it. And I think any any football fan that has been watching football for the past 10, 20-plus years knows that Drew Brees deserves it as well. So he was the first pick in the second round of the 2001 draft. In his five seasons with the Chargers, because he got selected by the Chargers, he went 30-28. and 28. He threw for 12,000 yards, 80 touchdowns to 53 interceptions, and had an 84.9 quarterback rating. He made one Pro Bowl in that time span. Because of a shoulder injury, I believe, the Chargers decided to let him walk because they had drafted Phillip Rivers. And because of that, Drew Brees ended up with the Saints and was paired up with Sean Payton. And with the Saints, he came right when they had Hurricane Katrina. The city was in a dark place, and Drew Brees going there put a spark to the city. I mean, he he joined them in 2006. He made a Pro Bowl the first year that he joined the Saints. He became an All-Pro as well. And the Saints went 10-6, and six, and Brees threw for 4,000-plus yards, 26 touchdowns, to 11 interceptions. In 2009, he won the Super Bowl. The Saints went 13-3. and three. They beat the Colts 31-17. And that year was my first year watching football. Like, actually watching football, that was my first year. I was about, I think, 10 or 11. Uh, 2009, right now I'm 21. Right, it's 2021, so 12 years. Yes, I was about 9, 10, give or take. I remember that year, and I wanted to, the Saints to win the Super Bowl over the Colts. And that entire year, anybody watching football knew that each week that a team had to face the Saints, it was a blowout. I mean, the, the New Orleans Saints were blowing teams out that season. It was pretty crazy. The Jets faced the Saints in the regular season that year. I'm a Jets fan, and I remember we lost by like 40. The Saints were truly a dominant team. The Saints, when they faced the Colts in the Super Bowl, the onside kick in the second half to start off the half was probably one of the riskiest things a coach has ever done in NFL history. And then the Tracy Porter interception to seal the game later on was truly like a storybook ending. I'd be lying if I said that I wanted the Saints to win because I actually was rooting for the Vikings and Brett Favre because I love Brett Favre too. But after they lost, you know, I went to the Saints, you know. And winning that Super Bowl meant so much to the to the city of New Orleans because of what happened with Hurricane Katrina. Because if you look at the Saints' history, it's not too great. It, it hadn't became a great organization, sort of say, until Drew Brees and Sean Payton, you know, teamed up there. So I think a lot of what we view the Saints as now has to do with Drew Brees and Sean Payton. 
Drew Brees is one of my favorite quarterbacks, and I think his story is amazing because it's a story of somebody who keeps persevering no matter what anybody says, especially at that time in 2001 when he got drafted. Nobody wanted to take a short quarterback. Even now, like, you know, now it's not even a big deal. Kyler Murray and freaking uh, Baker Mayfield are the number one overall picks, and they're six foot and under. Baker's just six foot, but Kyler Murray's like 5'10". Even a few years back, like in 2012, Russell Wilson went in the third round because he was short. Imagine in 2001 with Drew Brees being six foot. Nobody wanted to take a chance on him, and he was a great college player. You know, so Drew Brees' story is just a story of perseverance, and imagine your first NFL franchise giving up on you and then you having ultimate success at your second one. There are a lot of hurdles that Breeze had to go over, and that's why I think he's so important to football history, but also it's just an important story to know because if you want to be inspired, if you want to be motivated, his story is amazing. After 2009 when they won the Super Bowl, things kind of went downhill I mean, they got upset by the Seahawks the very next year. Marshawn Lynch had a phenomenal performance. Then as years went on, their defense got really bad. From 2014 to 2016, they had the 28th-ranked defense, the 32nd-ranked defense, and the 31st-ranked defense. Not until these past four years has the Saints defense been pretty respectable, and they have got an upset. I mean, last year, I mean, two seasons ago, they lost to Kirk Cousins when they were the favorites. Two years before that, um, they lost with the Minnesota Miracle. And then in the NFC Championship, they lost to the Rams with a pass interference call. So a lot of things have not been going the Saints way. They have been very unlucky. But Drew Brees is going to retire as the all-time NFL passing yards leader. Drew Brees will probably pass him, and that's so he'll finish with the second most all-time, most likely. He's going to finish with the most passes completed, second in passing touchdowns, fifth in passer rating, second in completion percentage, and he's going to finish his career as a third-time, 13-time Pro Bowler, two-time Offensive Player of the Year, 2004 Comeback Player of the Year, and a Super Bowl champion. One hell of a career for an all-time great who has meant a whole lot to our lives, watching football, loving football, and appreciating the game. I'm going to miss Drew Brees a lot because he was one of my favorite players growing up. So much nostalgic memories are tied to watching the Saints when I was younger. So, yeah, it sucks that we're getting older, and he's getting older, and everybody else is getting older, because soon we're going to say this about Tom Brady. Soon we're going to say this about LeBron James. So just appreciate greatness while it's happening right now, because just like that, it all can be over. But shout-out to Drew Brees for an amazing career. I'm going to miss watching him play football. We always love a story when somebody makes the most out of their opportunities. And ironically, a lot of people also love stories when people don't make the most of their opportunities because it creates a viewership. But me, I just feel bad. A lot of times we build people up to bring them down, but some people don't even get brought up and they bring themselves down. That's a perfect example of Isaiah Wilson. Isaiah Wilson was drafted by the Tennessee Titans with the 20th, 29th overall pick in 2020. He was a five-star prospect out of high school, the 17th best player in the country. He was 6'7", 345 pounds, still is that. I mean, a monster of a man. He's 6'7", 
all the intangibles to be a really great offensive lineman. He goes to Georgia, plays three seasons. Then in the senior season, he bypasses it to enter the NFL draft. He gets drafted. And this is the timeline of when everything started to, before everything went downhill for Isaiah Wilson. Once he got drafted, he was put on the COVID reserve list before training camp. Around August, he finally signs his Tennessee Titans contract. And then in the middle of the month of August, he receives a trespassing warning and the Titans handled it internally. So word didn't get out at that time. Then after that incident, Isaiah Wilson was put on the COVID reserve list again. And then in September, he was arrested for driving under the influence. So we can see a pattern was starting to happen with Isaiah Wilson that he couldn't stay out of trouble and he couldn't just focus on football. Then in October, he was finally allowed to play and return to practice with the Titans and he made his debut. He played three snaps and even though he played three snaps, it gave a lot of people hope that, okay, finally Isaiah Wilson is on the field. He's showing some good signs of improving his life and maybe focusing on football. And then in December, Isaiah Wilson was suspended for violating team rules. And then in February, he writes on Twitter that he's done with football as a Tennessee Titan. And that was the end of Isaiah Wilson's tenure as a Tennessee Titan. A wasted opportunity for him. A wasted pick by the Tennessee Titans. A a waste of time for everybody in that organization. And including Isaiah Wilson. Including Isaiah Wilson. Then... He gets a second chance, kind of like what Dwayne Haskins is getting right now with the Pittsburgh Steelers. The only difference is that Dwayne Haskins, it looks like he's doing his thing. It looks like he's focused. He's back on track. Isaiah Wilson, a week into getting traded by the Dolphins, and they they didn't give much up. They gave a seventh-round pick, but they got one back. So they basically got Isaiah Wilson for free. He was released by the Dolphins, and nobody knew why. How could he be released so soon? But information about that came out too. He was hours late for his physical. He was late for his onboarding process. He didn't show up for voluntary workouts that he said he would show up to. And the Dolphins cut him because the Dolphins aren't going to play. You know, you only get so much opportunities. And I'm watching Last Chance U basketball right now. It's an amazing show. It's an amazing show. I'm on episode eight, I believe. And these kids are in JUCO and they're trying to make their way to play in Division in Division One. And these kids, from what I can see, are they have troubled backgrounds. They're trying to find their way. And the coaches that are there working with them, they care about them deeply. But there comes a certain point where you become more trouble than what you're worth. And Isaiah Wilson, that's exactly his case. Okay. We know you're talented, but we're not going to deal with this. You know, on the high school level, on the college level, coaches will deal with that sort of stuff more, sort of stuff more because they want to win and they know you're probably the best player. In college, Isaiah Wilson was probably the fourth best player on his team, most definitely a top 10 player. In high school, he was the best player on his team. So coaches, because they don't want to lose Isaiah Wilson on game day, they're going to coddle him. They're going to make him feel at home. They're going to do whatever it takes to make sure Isaiah Wilson is happy. 
But then when you get into the NFL or the NBA or whatever profession that you get into, you quickly realize that you aren't the best one. You aren't the most talented. You aren't getting paid the most. You are just a rookie when you get there. And if you act out like Isaiah Wilson is acting out, not showing up, not being committed, just brushing everything off, they don't deal with that. You're going to get cut. You're not going to have another opportunity. The Titans basically gave up on Isaiah Wilson in one year. The Dolphins gave up on him in one week. I just hope that he doesn't give up on himself because it seems like he doesn't care. He just wasted an NFL opportunity, and it's very sad. He's only 22 years old, which is crazy because most of us, let's be honest, at 22 or at, in our 20s, we make mistakes. We all make mistakes. We all, you know, aren't the most mature around that age. But when you get into a profession as gruesome as the NFL or NBA, professional sports, you have to be mature at that age or you have to be insanely good, one or two. Because in the real world, people don't put up with those type of stuff. You're either all in or you're all out. That's pretty much how it goes. And at 22 years old, I just hate to think that he has ruined his life already. Two teams already gave up on him. Two teams. One team after a week. That That is saying something big. And you can't, you can't get help if you're not willing to help yourself. In order to receive help, you have to be able to help yourself. And he's not in a position to help himself right now because he just doesn't want it. When looking for an example of, of all the things not to do, look no further than Isaiah Wilson. This is a player who just wasted his NFL opportunity, his NFL career. He just wasted it right in front of our eyes. And this sort of stuff happens every so often. Although we we hope it doesn't happen, we see it happening. And I think everybody on the internet is very malicious towards these people that do this type of stuff because we recognize the opportunity that this guy was presented we recognize the opportunity that this guy was presented with an opportunity to make millions of dollars, have, have financial freedom, take care of his families for generations, and he just threw it all away because he can't commit. It's sad, but it's the reality. And in my opinion, you know, I hope that he figures it out, but I feel no sympathy for him because you knew what you had. Two organizations, you were a first-round pick, you weren't a seventh-round pick. Two organizations, specifically the Titans more, did everything they, they did everything to try to make you feel welcomed, to try and make it work out with you, and what did you do? You threw it all away. You know, I don't know, I don't know all the ins and outs of what happened with the situation, but from what it looks like, it looks like this guy was just lazy, and this guy just didn't care, and... I have no sympathy for guys who don't care because if you're not willing, if you don't care, why should I care? He wasted his NFL career and I hope maybe one day he comes back and makes a comeback, but you only get so many opportunities and I would hate for him to realize years on that this was the only opportunity he got and he wasted it. I'm done with that segment. I just wanted to get that off my chest because seeing a guy so young not pan out always is kind of it's kind of sad it's kind of sad to think about you know it's kind of sad not gonna lie but we're gonna move on and we're gonna talk about the Minnesota Vikings 
And I'm very excited about this topic. So there were a lot of teams that had really great free agency periods. The Patriots, the Giants as of recent. First couple of days, nothing came out. Then boom, in the last two days, Adoree Jackson and Kenny Galladay, Kyle Rudolph. I mean, they had a great free agency. Also, the uh, Minnesota Vikings had a very good free agency. They didn't sign a boatload of players like the Houston Texans, but they signed key guys like Patrick Peterson and Dalvin Tomlinson. And I want to explain why. The Minnesota Vikings' lack of success last year doesn't define the team that they're going to be this upcoming season. Usually when teams have a bad year, we write them off. Oh, they won't make the playoffs. They won't do this. They won't do that. I'm telling you right now, the Minnesota Vikings are not one of those teams. So let's just get this out there. In 2020, they had the 11th ranked offense in the entire NFL. Their offense was good. In fact, Kirk Cousins had a career year. He had the second best passer rating of his entire career. They lost Kevin Stefanski as their offense coordinator but they brought in Gary Kubiak and Gary Kubiak is a brilliant offensive mind. Sadly, he did retire. So that means his son, Clint Kubiak is going to take care of the play calling duties for the Minnesota Vikings. But nonetheless, offense wasn't their problem last year. And Justin Jefferson burst onto the scene when they lost to Fon Diggs. I was like, wow, it's going to be hard to replace him." And Justin Jefferson came in arguably better than Stephon Diggs. But, their problem last year was defense. They had the 29th ranked defense in the entire NFL. And that's pretty bizarre for the Vikings because the Vikings are known as a defensive team. That being said, having one of the worst defenses in the entire NFL, the Minnesota Vikings still went 7-9. and nine. Like I said, Gary Kubiak was their OC, but Clint Kubiak, his son, is going to replace him next season. Their defense last year had some notable names missing. Mike Hughes, their most experienced cornerback on the roster last year, only played four games. Anthony Barr played two games. Daniil Hunter didn't play at all because he was hurt. And Michael Pierce opted out because of COVID. Jeff Gladney and Cameron Dantzler were asked to start. Two rookie corners who had no NFL experience were asked to start. And that's why the secondary was so bad. Throughout the season, Cameron Dantzler really improved. And I mean, Cameron Dantzler is a starting corner in the NFL. Jeff Gladney still has to figure it out a bit, but I, I, I'm banking on his potential because I think he's going to be very good as well. But that's why the secondary was so bad. One, they didn't have a great pass rush because Daniel Hunter was out. They traded for Yannick Ngakwe, but he didn't do anything. He was traded to Baltimore like four or five games into the year. So the Vikings defense didn't have that star power that we know them for having. They had Anthony Har- Anthony Harrison, Harrison Smith, but outside of those guys and Eric Hendricks, really nobody else. But this upcoming season, the Minnesota Vikings are going to get Daniil Hunter back. Michael Pierce is coming back. They signed Dalvin Tomlinson, and they signed Patrick Peterson. Next season, their defense is going to feature guys like Neil Hunter, Michael Pierce, Dalvin Tomlinson. Those three guys in your front four, that's going to be really good. Troy Dye, not too high on him. He's an okay linebacker. Eric Hendricks, one of the best middle linebackers in the NFL. Anthony Barr's coming back. 
Patrick Peterson just got signed. Cameron Dantzler, Jeff Gladney, Mike Hughes, and Harrison Smith. That, to me, on paper, smells like a top 15, top 10 defense in the entire NFL. Like, no doubt about it, hands down. They still have to find another edge rusher, and I think they'll do that in the draft. Uh, I would love that. I would love for them to draft Jalen Phillips out of Miami. I think he would come to the Minnesota Vikings and make them a dominant defense because I think Jalen Phillips is going to be a really good pro. But that's just their defense. We look at their offense. You still have Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Irv Smith Jr. And their offensive line, although it's not great, although it's not good, it's not horrendous like it was in years past. Brian O'Neill has developed nicely. Ezra Cleveland showed flashes last year in his rookie season. And Garrett Bradbury is a really good center in the NFL. They need another tackle since they lost Riley Reef, But their offensive line isn't too bad. You know, I, it's not the best. It's not good. But it isn't too bad. It isn't like previous Minnesota Vikings offensive lines. This offensive line is pretty okay. You can work with this offensive line. And in the draft, when they do draft an edge rusher, they're going to fill that hole. And I think the rest of the draft is going to be predicated on getting an offensive lineman. I wouldn't be surprised if the Minnesota Vikings win 10-plus games next season. If we, if, you know, I think if we're in a 17-game season, I would predict, I would predict for them to, to win 11 games. The Vikings will be in the mix for the playoffs next year. I'd even say that they're a lock to make it because when you have a top 15 or top 10 defense featured with a top 10, top 15 offense, there's no way that you don't make the playoffs. And I think the Minnesota Vikings free agency has really went under the radar because they only signed two real key, like big name players. But those players were huge. Dalvin Tomlinson and Patrick Peterson. Both of those guys, I'm pretty sure, were on the top of a lot of other teams' free agent watch list, definitely. And the Minnesota Vikings landing both of them was huge. And we also tend to forget that Kirk Cousins is a very good quarterback. I know that he gets this reputation for being bad, mostly because most people see him in primetime games. And in primetime games, he is usually not the winner. I mean, he's like 1-7 in in primetime games. But he had a career year last year. Second best passer rating of his career. And if I were a Vikings fan, I would be really excited to watch this team play next season. I know I'm really excited to watch this team play next season. And now I'm not even a Vikings fan. But wow, I think the talent they have on this roster is really great. And I can't watch to see them play. I can't wait to see them play. I misspoke there. Their NFC North counterpart. The Green Bay Packers didn't exactly do the same things. The Packers have have not made free agent moves thus far, and it worries me. The Green Bay Packers haven't made any notable free agent moves thus far, and this is why it matters. The only thing that they did is re-sign Aaron Jones, which which was huge. I'm not going to lie; it was bring it was big bringing him back. They also put a tender on Robert Tunyon, a second-round tender. He's not going anywhere. That was a big deal, too. But their lack or lack thereof being aggressive in free agency tells me a lot about the mindset of their organization. They're fine with being good enough. 
and they don't really care about being great or being the favorites. And in life, you have to adapt. All the best companies in the world that you see have adapted. Netflix, they used to sell CDs. They adapted to streaming because that was the way the world was going. Since Netflix adapted and had a lot of success, now you see every single other company adapting. Disney is adapting. They released Disney+. Plus. NBC is adapting. They released Peacock. CBS, their parent company, Warner, they are adapting. They released Paramount+. Plus. Every single company is adapting right now. And you see a lot of NFL teams adapting as well. The Giants, coming into this free agency, didn't have much money. But because of their workarounds, the cap, work around the cap, they were able to re-sign Leonard Williams. They were able to sign Kenny Galladay to a big-time deal. They were able to sign Adorier Jackson. They adapted. The Rams have been in cap hell for the last couple of years. They even traded Jared Goff and had a gigantic dead cap hit. But restructures have made them be now over the cap. They adapted. The New Orleans Saints, they, they were $100 million over the cap. And they got to zero because they adapted. They know how to work around the cap. And the Packers' lack of free agent moves because they don't have cap space is a big, giant excuse because other teams have shown the ability to adapt and to, to make these big-time moves when we all think they don't have the cap space to do it. In an era where salary cap space is so is such a facade, you can ma- manipulate it in so many different ways to go out and get big-time players, and the Packers just haven't capitalized. Knowing they have one of the all-time great quarterbacks on the roster, it's ridiculous to me. While they did re-sign Aaron Jones, and I guess that's great, they lost Corey Lindsley, their all-pro center. So, you know, I, you can give or take on that. Would you rather have a running back or would you rather have your all-pro center? I'd rather have Corey Lindsley, but I, I get Aaron Jones' impact, which is why I'm not mad at it. In 2019, the Packers did make a splash of signings. They signed Adrian Amos. They signed Zedarius and Preston Smith. But before then... Their big-time signings were Charles Woodson in 2006 and Julius Peppers in 2014. This is not an organization known for making big-time moves. They're not. 2019 was an anomaly. And history is repeating itself because they're not making a big-time move now. The Packers aren't aggressive, aggressive enough in trying to bring in talent. They act as if they don't have Aaron Rodgers on the roster And that drives me crazy. In last year's draft, they drafted Jordan Love with the 26th overall pick. They traded up to get Jordan Love. He probably would have been there where where they were picking, but they traded up to get Jordan Love. And this leaves everybody wondering why. Why draft the quarterback when you have an all-time great one already and you know that Aaron Rodgers needs a receiver? Nobody gets it. And now... I feel extremely bad for Jordan Love because if Jordan Love is not a Pro Bowl player or an all-time great, this was a whiff of a pick. Imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine being the 26th overall pick in the NFL draft. 
and being a whiff if you're not a pro bowler or an all pro player. I would argue that Jordan Love has more pressure on him than Tua, than Burrow, and then even Justin Herbert. Jordan Love has the most pressure in this draft. And want to know why? Because Jordan Love did not play his first season. He's going to sit. So that means when he is ready to play, he's expected to do something. He's his The time for him to grow, the time for fans to be patient with him is going to be like this. Fans aren't going to be patient with Jordan Love at all because he had time to sit. He has to literally in his first start, look like Patrick Mahomes or better. And I think it's very unfair to him. And then they drafted A.J. Dillon in the second round. I thought that was a good pick. They drafted Josiah DeGuar in the third round. I think that was a good pick, even though he hasn't shown much to this point. But the Packers' biggest need going into the 2020 NFL draft was wide receiver. And they didn't draft a wide receiver. And, And historically wide receiver loaded draft class. We've seen other teams make moves to try and surround the franchise quarterback. Kansas City Chiefs signed Joe Tooney to an $80 million deal. Where did they get the cap space from? Nobody knows. But the Packers, not only can they sign big-time free agents, but they can't even draft what Aaron Rodgers needs the most, a wide receiver. They can't even draft it. You always find a way to get what you really want. If you really want something, you're going to go after it. Like I mentioned before, the examples with the Giants, they really wanted Kenny Galladay and Adoria Jackson. They got him. The Chiefs really wanted Joe Tooney. They got him. The Saints really wanted to build a Super Bowl roster around Drew Brees. So they handicapped themselves for the future multiple times to build a great roster around Drew Brees. The Packers' lack of free agent moves tells me they don't really want to maximize Aaron Rodgers' time with the Green Bay Packers. They are fine with just being good enough. And for other teams, that's fine. But when you have Aaron Rodgers on your team, it's not. I'm actually pretty ashamed that the Packers are not making any moves. I thought they were going to get J.J. Watt. Of course, I was wrong. I thought they were going to make way more moves than, they, than what they made. I just hope that the Packers are right about this. I hope that Jordan Love turns out to be a great quarterback because I do like Jordan Love a lot. I do hope that in, in the long run, it does pay off because right now it's not looking very good. And the Packers deserve all the criticism that they that they are getting, rightfully so, because their fans are looking at every other team making make big-time moves with – No cap. And the Packers are sitting there not making any. It's ridiculous. The Packers organization has a lot of pressure to maximize Aaron Rodgers' talent. And that's an organization with a lot of pressure. I'm going to transition to a player that's facing a lot of pressure next season. And I'd argue that he's facing the most pressure of any player next year. I think that's Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, his first year, showed a lot of flashes. He threw for 3,000 yards, had 24 touchdowns to 12 interceptions, an 88 quarterback rating pretty much, 62 completion percentage, but he had 18 fumbles, which was a problem of his. The good news is that in his second year, 
He went from 18 fumbles to 11, which is pretty good. It's an improvement. He also played one more game in the second season. And his his numbers all around kind of dipped. He had 11 touchdowns compared to 28, his rookie, compared to 24, his rookie year, excuse me. And he had 10 interceptions, which is less, but still he didn't throw as many touchdowns. Daniel Jones is the first rookie to have four more touchdown passes and three or more road games in a single season. Kind of like Baker Mayfield, Daniel Jones had a great rookie season, and then in the second season, regressed. The difference is that Baker Mayfield in his third year did good again. Now, what is Daniel Jones going to do? Quarterbacks nowadays get a timetable of about two to three years. Three year, three to four years if you're lucky. Sam Darnold got three years. He's about to be gone from the Jets. The reason is because with so much quarterback talent coming into the draft every single year, there's no point on experimenting with a quarterback that doesn't have franchise potential. Teams aren't looking for Joe Flacco's anymore. Teams are looking for Patrick Mahomes. So they're always going to try to shoot and hit a star, even if they miss. They're going to try. But the Giants last year had the ninth-ranked defense in the entire NFL. Their offense was the problem. They had the 31st-ranked offense. But they addressed that in free agency. They signed Kenny Galladay, a number-one receiver, to a four-year, $70-plus-million-dollar contract. They signed Kyle Rudolph, a former Pro Bowl tight end, who still has a lot left in the tank. The Giants' offense looks like this. Saquon Barkley, Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton. They have some depth guys in John Ross and Dante Pettis. And at tight end, Evan Ingram and Kyle Rudolph. I mean, the Giants' offense is stacked. It's stacked. This set of weapons would be any quarterback's dream. And for the last couple of years, the Giants' offense has had two problems. One, their offensive line stinks. Two, they don't have a number one receiver. Sterling Shepard and Darius Slay, and they're fine. They're good. They're number twos. They're not number ones. Kenny Galladay is a number one, two-time Pro Bowler. One-time Pro Bowler, pardon my mistake. The offensive line also isn't as much as a question mark next season as a lot of people think it is. Nate Soldier is coming back, and although he's not exceptional, he's cool. He's good. He's okay. He's not nothing crazy, but he's okay. Andrew Thomas, after they fired um, offensive line coach Mark Colombo, stepped up, and he got better. So did Nick Gates, and so did, so did Shane LeMayhew. And the Giants are probably going to draft an offensive lineman with that 11th overall pick since they signed Kenny Galladay. They probably draft a Christian Darisaw or Elijah Vera Tucker, maybe a Rashawn Slater if he slips. There are no excuses for Daniel Jones next season. I think the Giants would be Super Bowl contenders if their quarterback was anybody else besides Daniel Jones. Just imagine this. Imagine if they had Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, or Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, or Tom Brady. Let's start with Deshaun Watson. Let's say the Giants had an offense of Deshaun Watson, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley, and Kyle Rudolph. Forget the offensive line. That's a dominant offense, like no doubt about it. With that defense, with the Giants defense, who 
now feature a secondary of James Bradbury, Adorier Jackson, Jabril Peppers, Logan Ryan. Julian Love was phenomenal last season. A defensive line of Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams. Linebackers of Blake Martinez, Jimenez. Like, I mean, this is a really great roster. And if their quarterback was anybody besides Daniel Jones, an actual great quarterback, the Giants are a Super Bowl contender. But because it is Daniel Jones, but because his future is uncertain, because we're not sure if he is going to be a good or great quarterback, the Giants might not even be a, be a playoff team. We're questioning if the Giants are going to win the NFC East. And ironically, Washington is in the same position. Washington just needs a quarterback, and they can get over the hump. Same thing with the Giants. They are in similar positions. Because of Daniel Jones, we are not even sure that they're going to make, a pl- make the playoffs. And I think the Giants have a Super Bowl-caliber roster. Daniel Jones has to take a massive leap next season. He is the player with the most pressure on him. No other team around the NFL that features a young quarterback got this many weapons for their young quarterback. The New York Jets never surrounded Sam Darnold with this much talent. Ever. Ever. Even in Miami with Tua. His his time is ticking too. And Tua doesn't even have this much talent on offense. Daniel Jones does. So that's why I think he's the player with the most pressure next season. And if he doesn't play great, he will be replaced. And pretty bad timing for the Giants because next year, outside of Sam Howell, I don't know who else is a sure thing in that draft. But that's for next year to talk about. This year would have been the perfect year to move on because you got guys like Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, this is a really quarterback-heavy draft, but... Daniel Jones is under a lot of pressure next season. And let's see if he lives up to it. So that is it for the NFL portion of the podcast. I'm now going to move into the NBA portion of the podcast. It's going to be relatively quick. This episode wasn't supposed to be a a long episode because most of the topics that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about next episode on Thursday. I just really didn't want to miss this episode. Like I said before, I love recording this podcast, like it's my favorite thing. If it wasn't for saving topics for Thursday, this would probably be a two hour show of everything I really want to talk about. But I want to save the topics because I think it's a lot more fun with all, when all of us talk about it. So yeah, pretty much that's how I feel. If you guys made it through this far, then I appreciate you guys. It means the world to me. But yeah, just a recap of what I talked about. Daniel Jones is under the most pressure. The Packers organization is failing Aaron Rodgers. Isaiah Wilson wasted his NFL career pretty much. Drew Brees had a great NFL career, Hall of Fame, one of the best I've ever seen. And I've also talked about the new NFL media deal. In the NBA, we're going to talk about LaMelo Ball and his injury and what that means for the Rookie of the Year race. Then I'll talk about LeBron James and uh, his injury and what it means for the Western Conference as a whole. I had to drink a sip of water. I always have to do that a couple times an episode. I'm learning. I'm trying to learn how to not do it anymore. See, big time shows like uh, Colin Coward, who's amazing, first take, they get commercial breaks. So in their commercial breaks, they can sip water. They can do what they got to do. But here, this is all, this is straight, straight through live, uncut. 
So you're going to see some slip-ups like that. But let's get to LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball is out for the remainder of the season. He had a fracture to his right wrist. He got it after stealing a pass in the Clippers game that they played, I think, yesterday or two days ago. He was fouled when he was going up for a layup, and he fell on his wrist awkwardly. You can see he was in pain. When you watch the video, you could already tell. He still hit both of his free throws, I believe, which is pretty amazing. But he is out for the year. He was averaging 16, 6, and 6. But in his starts, he was averaging 19, 6, and 6. So he upped his points per game by three points, but his assists and rebounds pretty much stayed the same. And the two concerns coming into the NBA that people had about LaMelo, how is his shot going to translate? And is he going to be a good defender? Both of those are out the window because his shot has translated and he has been a good defender to this point because of his size, size and size and intangibles. He's been a really good defender. LaMelo ball to me would have easily been the rookie of the year. Had it not been for him getting injured and it's a shame that he's out. He was the most exciting rookie this year to watch. He was the most exciting rookie in a long time. I mean, he's the most exciting rookie that I've ever watched. His passing is special. In fact, everybody talks about Jason Kidd, and I think that is a good comparison because their passing is very similar. But another guy I would compare him to was Tyreek Evans, Tyreek Evans' rookie year. Tyreek Evans in his rookie year averaged 25-5. and five. I think he was more of a bona fide score than LaMelo. But when you talk about their rookie years being point guards that are around six, 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 seven, I think their games were very similar and the rookie years were very similar to each other. I mean, there was no question that LaMelo was winning the rookie of the year if he had stayed healthy, like no question. Um, he's a special passer. He's a special player. And what's even scarier is that he hasn't even really figured out the game of basketball yet. Like, he's still learning. He's playing off of instinct right now. He's not playing off of knowing where all the guys are watching film and really understanding the game mentally. That takes years to learn. That is scary because imagine how good LaMelo Ball is going to be. That's the question I ask. This is just him as a rookie at 19 years old. Imagine him at 23. LaMelo is going to be special. The good thing about the injury is that it was a right wrist fracture, I believe. And I say that's a good thing because it's not serious. It's not going to be detrimental to his long-term career. If it was an injury like an ACL or an Achilles, then I would be like, ah, is LaMelo going to come back the same? But since it's a wrist injury, nobody should be questioning if LaMelo is going to come back the same. LaMelo is going to come back the same and even better. Like, no doubt about it. And while he's out for the season, like I said, I think it's going to be better for his game long term because it's not a significant injury. He's going to get some time off now, and he's going to get to practice. He's going to get to do a lot of other stuff. So I think he's going to be really great next season. But I also said earlier, LaMelo Ball was a runaway rookie of the year. But now, since he got injured, who is the rookie of the year? And D'Angelo Russell kind of gave this a sneak peek. He tweeted out rookie of the year with the question mark and a, an, an emoji to like an Anthony Edwards highlight or something like that, which was really bad timing by D'Angelo Russell because, I mean, come on, you look like a, you look like a buffoon doing that. 
Like, who does that? Like, come on. A guy just got injured, and that's your reaction? Then again, that is the same guy that did snitch on Nick Young for cheating on Iggy Azalea. So, you know, can't really trust those guys too much. But Anthony Edwards is probably going to win the Rookie of the Year now because who are the other guys in the race? Um, Tyrese Halle Burton, Emmanuel Quickly, Sadiq Bey. Not enough guys for me. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton has been good. He has been efficient, but he hasn't been spectacular. Like, he's been a good rookie. Like, he's been great for a rookie, but he hasn't been LaMelo, and he hasn't been Anthony Edwards. The only thing that was holding back Anthony Edwards was his efficiency, but he started to pick that up. I mean, the last, since the All-Star break, Anthony Edwards is averaging 27 points, 6 rebounds, and 3 assists per game. He's shooting 44% from the field and 39% from the three. And the closest to him in the race is probably Tyree Talley Burton. And Tyree Talley Burton is averaging like 12 points per game. So there is no way that he's going to win over Anthony Edwards. Plus, you put Edwards' stats on top of his highlight clips, his dunks, his posters. They've been phenomenal. Because of that, there's just simply no way that they, they give the Rookie of the Year to anybody else. Anthony Edwards is going to win the award. We know that he's a lock to win it. I think he's a lock to win it unless he gets hurt too. But, yeah, I think it's a shame because LaMelo, I think, deserved it this year. He was by far the best rookie and most exciting rookie to watch. I hope he comes back better. And I, 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 don't, you know, I know he's going to come back better, but I hope everything goes well for him. I'm going to miss him watching him play this season because he was really phenomenal. He was a great player this year. Another player that had an injury was LeBron James. Uh, LeBron James is going to miss several weeks with a high ankle sprain. And can the Lakers maintain their playoff standing without LeBron and Anthony Davis? Because Anthony Davis is not playing either. The Lakers don't have LeBron, and they don't have Anthony Davis. They are 0-2 without LeBron so far. They are 11-9 and without Anthony Davis. So even when it was just LeBron on the court, the Lakers were struggling. They weren't winning games. Now they don't have both. They're currently the third seed at 28-15. and And the eighth seed is only five games behind in the Dallas Mavericks. Can the Lakers drop five? I think they can. It's a possibility. The Lakers have the eighth hardest rate Hardest strength of schedule moving forward, which means without LeBron or Anthony Davis, their schedule is going to be tough. Can Dennis Schroeder, Montrez Harrell, and Kyle Kuzma keep them afloat? I'm not sure. Dennis Schroeder is more of a complimentary player. Kyle Kuzma is more streaky. He already figured out his role with LeBron and AD. So him going back to kind of like the Lonzo days of the Lakers is going to be tough for him. And Montrez Harrell, just a guy, to be honest. I think uh, he has high energy, but he's very bad defensively. So he's not the sixth man that we all thought he was when he was with the Clippers. He's, I don't think he's really the same. But it's very possible that the Lakers do drop down to the eighth seed in the time that AD and LeBron are out. And imagine that. Imagine the Lakers going into the playoffs as the eighth seed. They would probably be the most dominant eighth seed in history. They would probably be the first eighth seed since the New York Knicks in 
2000 or 1999. It was 1999. They'd be the first team to go to the finals as an eighth seed since the 1999 Knicks. If they were to be the eighth seed, that's what I believe. But what this tells me about the West is that the West is wide open this year. Any team can make it out the Western Conference. The Utah Jazz, the Portland Trailblazers, the Los Angeles Clippers, the Phoenix Suns, the Denver Nuggets, like you name any team. If LeBron and AD are not a full go, any team can make the finals out the West. This is any team's opportunity to make the finals. Kind of like when kind of like when Jordan took two years off of baseball, two years off to go play baseball. Every team knew, especially in the East, that their window of, of opportunity was now. That's kind of like what the uh, what the West is now when, with LeBron and AD not being a full goal right now. It's wide open. It's literally the, the wide, wild, open West. And between these teams, I can't really pick a winner. I like Utah. I really do. But they have been slowing down as of recently. Their efficiency was at an all-time high. And to ask them to continue to keep doing that is going to be tough. Plus, Rudy Gobert in the playoffs, when he has to switch on to guards, it's going to be tough. The Clippers. like The Clippers are just too much of a streaky team. Sometimes they play hard. Sometimes they don't. Kawhi Leonard is phenomenal, but you can't really count on Paul George. And who else on that team can really get you a bucket? Lou Will, we've known him to be a really great six-man, but... He just hasn't been that guy this year or even last year for the Clippers. Then you look at the Phoenix Suns. The Suns have a great team, but they're just way too young for me to really pick them right now. I don't think they have the depth to really go that far. Not to go that far, but just just to make the finals. The Denver Nuggets. I like Denver. I like Denver, but they just have too much injuries. Gary Harris, Paul Millsap, even though I think he did come back. You know, I'm not sure, I'm not too certain about their injury history and what can happen there. And then the Portland Trailblazers. I love the roster. They have a bunch of depth, but they just have no defense. So that's going to be tough as well. The Western Conference is literally wide open. Anybody can take it. It's not like the East. Like in the East, we know it's the Brooklyn Nets and everybody else. But the West, it's totally out in the open. Anybody can win. I know the Spurs are in the playoffs, but I didn't mention them because even without, even with LeBron and AD injured, I don't think the Spurs make the finals. I don't even really give them a chance to, regardless. But who would have thought that LeBron, an Iron Man, would get injured and be out several weeks? Anthony Davis's injury history is coming back to bite the Lakers because he had an injury history with the Pelicans. I'm telling you, man, don't be surprised. Everybody was so quick at, to pick the Lakers as favorites, but with no AD and just LeBron, I'm still hesitant to pick them to go to the finals. And with the hobbled LeBron or AD, forget about it. They're not going to make it at all. The Lakers thus far have been one of the better teams in the Western Conference. One of the worst team in the Western Conference are the Houston Rockets, but they have been one of the better teams in the West the last couple of years with James Harden. The Houston Rockets are now on a 20-game losing streak. Most of that has been without Christian Wood, so let's be fair. But let's also call it how we see it. 
17 of those 20 losses have been by double digits. And they face Toronto tonight. So by the time this episode is over with, the Rockets could have either won their first game in, in the last 20 games or they could be on a 21-game losing streak. Surprisingly, even though the Rockets have been horrendously bad so far, they are not the worst team in the NBA. It's still the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're ahead of them by like a game, so it's not like a huge disparity. But that just goes to show how bad the Timberwolves have been. And I don't even think it's a talent. Because, I mean, even without Christian Wood, the Rockets have Eric Gordon, John Wall, Christian Wood. Christian Wood has been out. Uh, Victor Oladipo, Daniel House, Deshaun Tate, and they just got Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, I don't think it's the talent. I mean, is Steven Silas a bad coach? I know it's way too early to ask that question, but is it? I'm not really sure. Is it really too early to ask that question? I mean, I don't think you can be a good coach in the NBA and lose 20 games, like 20 straight games. If you go on a 20-game losing streak, how can you be a good coach? You you can at least pull one game out in a 20-game span, like at least one game, at least one game. But to go on a 20-game losing streak, and then after his 20th loss, I saw the press conference for Steven Silas. And the entire time, his head was down, his hand was on his the top of his head, and I'm like, that doesn't look like a leader to me. Even though you lost 20 in a row, your body language, it shows like you quit on your team. It shows like you don't care. I don't think it's too early to ask if Steven Silas is a bad coach. He probably is. But I want to get into something even deeper than that. Isn't this the perfect time for the Rockets to be bad? Think about it. I think now was a perfect time for the Rockets to suck. The, this franchise has made the playoffs for eight straight years due to James Harden. The minute James Harden gets traded, they get a boatload of first-round picks back, and their, their first-round pick this year, you know, the past years with James Harden, the Rockets have been trading first-round picks left and right. Luckily, the first-round pick that they traded to OKC for Russell Westbrook that is this year's first-round pick, is top four protected. So it's not unprotected. And I always say, I'd rather be horrible than stuck in the middle. Let's just look at some recent examples. The early 2010s Hawk, Atlanta Hawks teams, they were always a playoff lock, but we always knew they weren't going to go anywhere. The Indiana Pacers now, we know they're good but they're not going to go anywhere. The Orlando Magic right now, they made the playoffs the last two years, and now they're really bad because they didn't trade Nikola Vucevic earlier, and they still are hesitant to trade him now. The 76ers realized, hmm, maybe it is better to be horrible than to be in the middle of the pack. And because of that, Sam Hinkie tanked. They adopted the slogan, trust the process, and they got Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and a bunch of other draft whiffs among them. But they got their core of players in in Simmons and Embiid. Because the Rockets are so bad, they have the second best odds to land the number one pick this season. But like I said, if it drops out the top four, then that pick is OKC's pick. 
if the Rockets get a top four pick, let's not even talk about number one. They'd have a chance to draft Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Jonathan Kuminga, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green. Cade Cunningham probably won't be there. Probably not Jalen Suggs, but they'd have a not. They'd have options. I mean, Kuminga, Mobley, and Jalen Green. Like, this is a good year to be picking in the top five with Cunningham, Suggs, Kuminga, Mobley, and Green. If you're picking in the top five you're going to get a really good player. For the Rockets, they hope it's top four because they can't sit out the top four. When you take into account all the talent the Rockets already have on the roster, like Christian Wood, um, Kevin Porter Jr., Jay Sean Tate, Eric Gordon's under contract for next year, so is John Wall, so is Daniel House. Imagine a team of Cade Cunningham, Christian Wood, KPJ, John Wall, Eric Gordon, Daniel House. I think that's a competitive team. And when you when you take that into account with all the first-round picks they have moving forward because of the James Harden trade, the Rockets have a lot to work with. And luckily for them, this won't be a long rebuild if they get a, this top pick. If I was a Rockets fan, I would want to continue losing. Because what's the point of winning? If you win, you don't even have a first-round pick in a loaded draft class. Everybody thought the Rockets were going to be a middle-of-the-pack team. So did I. I mean, they, they went on a five-game winning streak when Harden first got traded. That went down the hill. That went downhill quick. And then they went on this 20-game losing streak. So although I wasn't expecting this from the Houston Rockets, like, it is the perfect scenario. You just lost your franchise player in James Harden, and you're about to get a new one, potentially in Cade Cunningham, Kaminga, Suggs, Mobley, or whoever else, or Jalen Green. So I would say Houston Rockets, keep on tanking. Keep on taking. Trade Victor Oladipo for nothing. Don't ask for too much. Trade anybody. Just keep on tanking. Continue losing. If I was a Rockets fan, that is what I would want. And that is the best case scenario for the Houston Rockets organization moving forward. So they should keep losing. And I hope they do become good sooner rather than later. I love Houston. I love the Houston Rockets. Although I don't like the current uniforms, I still like them as a team. So, yep, keep on losing. The tank is on and it should be on. You can't let that pick go past out four. Hopefully they figure it out. Um, that is going to do it for this episode of the Pickside Podcast, episode 77. It was an hour and five minute show, not a long show. We're about to hit an hour and six minutes. It wasn't a long show. I'm going to say I am kind of disappointed that it wasn't a longer show because whenever a show is an hour or so, I kind of feel like I whiffed you guys. But trust me, I do a lot of research just when it's only me talking. Like it's hard, like it's harder to prepare for a show when you're one person because when it when Jack and Riv or we have a guest on here, we're bouncing back and forth and having a conversation. So our conversations are longer. When it's just me, I'm just talking to myself. So I can only fill up so much time. I'm not I can't I can't talk for ten minutes on one segment, you know, so that's why. But I'm glad that if you guys enjoyed this episode, I'm glad it makes me happy. I put a lot of work into this. Today I uh, just bought a monitor. I just bought a gaming monitor because I'm going to start streaming, playing 2K or Call of Duty or Madden, whatever that is, you know, because I, I always enjoyed gaming. And uh, 
since since I do have my YouTube channel now, when I go live, I'd rather like go live and play some video games and talk with the audience instead of like going live and just showing my face the entire time. So that's why I got it. But yeah, this is the 77th episode of the Pickaside Podcast. You guys can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at Pickaside Podcast and on Pickaside and at Pickaside Pod and on TikTok. You can find us at Pickaside Podcast. If you guys would like to review us on Apple Podcasts and write a review, it would mean the world to us. We read them on the podcast uh, at the beginning of the show so everybody can hear it. And, you know, to give you guys some airtime. You know, we love people that support the show. So thank you guys so much. This is going to do it for the 77th episode of the Pickaside Podcast. So if you tuned in, thank you, and I'll see you next time. This is Jonathan Macri from the Knicks Film School Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you are listening to right now, as well as my show, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising a another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You could invest for as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. Blue Wire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help this show continue to grow. If you would like to be a part of the Blue Wire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com backslash blue wire.